everybody. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. What podcast is that, Joe? This is the Macaw Podcast Universe, and we're here to uh, <laughs> uh, we exist to prove people wrong when they say sequels are never better than the originals. And uh, this year we've had a, a fun. We have a fun year planned for everyone, and of course, in between your your Marvels and your DC Marvels, your Marvels, and uh, an upcoming Insidious movie, and you know all these sweet new releases. We're covering new series that we haven't covered before. And you may have joined in because you're thinking, "Man, I got to hear about X Men," and I don't remember X the movie after X Men Origins, and I didn't know it was three colors blue. Yeah, but this must be a very interesting, very artistic, strange run that some artsy fartsy director was given the the hands to direct. At a time before Marvel became too big and people still <laughs> had chances. But, alas, we're not doing an X-Men movie. We're taking a breather before the X-Men train continues rolling down the tracks. And uh, that breather is the Three Colors trilogy. Um, a very, very famous trilogy of movies that um, I think pretty much if you have dabbled at all in, in film buffery... You have probably seen these movies um, at least like listed on lists. Mm-hmm. Um, listed on lists. You heard it here first. Listed on lists. And so for me, I've always wanted to watch these movies. Me too. And I have never watched them. Me too. So last night we sat down and we watched Blue. And right we off just the bat, put on a blue screen on our TV and stared at it for an hour and a half. That was what we did. And we were like, is that right? And then I looked it up on Letterboxd, found out it wasn't. So then we watched the movie Blue. So we spent three hours, yeah. but only an hour and a half was the actual movie. Isn't this officially three colors blue? Or at the time of its release, it was just called Blue? Because when you look it up now, it's three colors blue, three colors white, yeah. three colors red. I think that that is theatrical. Because um, for blue? one, like three colors blue, three okay. colors white. Because uh, it was planned that way. Um, and, um, I, I actually didn't look into that exact fact. You'll have to remind me cause next episode I can check that. Yeah. Um, but when we were watching it, like the title in within the actual movie said three colors blue. Yeah. Now having said that, it's not like, I mean, we've covered star Wars folks. People can change things in movies <laughs> after yeah. they're released. But, uh, I, I think that this was always from the inception of what this movie was going to be. The series. This series, yeah. 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 It, it was not like, it wasn't like the uh, before trilogy where they made one yeah, and yeah, then yeah. nine waited years later? nine years, I think, and yeah. then wait another nine years. Yeah, it was like. There is a very funny reference to this series and community that I didn't get for a very long time, uh-huh. but now being aware of these movies, it's very funny. Do you remember? No, I have no clue. It, it's from Britta, which makes a lot of sense based uh-huh. on her character. And she says something like, "It's like my, th- it's like my favorite French trilogy, Blue Blanc Rouge." Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think everyone rolls their eyes. That's a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and that's something that I, I was. Uh, these are French movies, kind of. They're French. They're they're based on the colors of the French flag, blue, white, red. Uh, but these, this is by a Polish man who made these movies. I noticed a lot of uh, non-French names in the cred- in the like 
Um, and the credit's not actor-wise. Yeah. The what am I? You know, the, you, everyone knows what I'm trying to say. The credits. Yeah. Is that what you There's mean? There's people who worked on this movie, I guess. Oh, 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 yes, the cat, the the crew, not the cast. The crew. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got confused as well. Um, yeah, so I didn't know that. Um, the director of this movie is Christoph Kieslowski. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about him. He's pretty interesting. So he is a Polish man who uh, he has since passed, but uh, he was born in 1941. And um, he started out doing documentaries. Okay. And he was doing that for a little bit, and he was just trying to capture the everyday life of Polish people. I bet those are some pretty dang interesting documentaries. Sure. And and you can see how, even though, you know, that's much older, I think we're talking about the 70s when yeah. he was doing that, uh, you can see how that extends into this this work, you know, capturing the everyday. Yeah. A lot of close-ups, a lot of static shots. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he he stopped doing documentaries for two experiences that happened to him. Uh, he made this movie called Workers 71, uh, where he showed workers talking about why they were striking, mm-hmm. which it was in 1970. Um, but the Polish government was not a fan of that, so they censored his movie up the wazoo. Mm. Um, and it was... I, I believe it was like years and years later that he was able to release it the way he intended to release it. Wow. So he didn't like that. Okay. Wasn't a fan of that, um, as makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then he made this movie called Station. Uh and and I think it's I think it's actually a short um, but it was it was nearly used as evidence in some trial. To which case I did not see what that trial was, as I know that's probably that, your question. Yeah. Uh, some guy was questioned for murder, but Larry David saved his life too. That, that, that's kind of what I was thinking of (laughs) as well. Um, but yeah, so then after those two experiences, he realized that he would have more artistic freedom making fiction and he could actually be more truthful about life. Yeah. Creating fiction. That's a very interesting perspective. Yeah, he seems like a very interesting man. And there's another project that we're going to talk about that he worked on um, that we could probably cover on this podcast that okay. would be wild. Um, but I don't know maturity level. It could it could potentially be tough. Okay. Uh, we'll see, though. Um, so he moves into features, uh, but he, in, you know, he incorporates his documentary style. I think that's pretty obvious, even though you and I have only seen one of his movies. It's very apparent. Um, and he became part of the cinema of moral anxiety films. So that was, um, a movement in Poland called the cinema of moral anxiety films. And it had him and, uh, a, a few other directors and I just grabbed it verbatim. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movement portrayed the crisis of the regime in communist Poland, usually in the setting of a provincial town. The development of the movement was abruptly stopped by the introduction of the martial law in Poland in 1981, and when it was lifted, the country was overwhelmed with powerful political and social processes, which had eventually led, which had eventually led to the fall of communism in the country and disappearance of the addressed social issues. So, this organization was to just talk about communism, like that was their goal as directors. No, did I miss that? 
No, no, no. Uh, I think from how I presented it, it makes sense you took it there. Uh, this is like when uh, it's like a movement in film that happened in Poland that they call that movement. Yeah. But I, uh, but so I it's mean, not like, an organization. Sub- well, I know. I guess what I mean is that is that what their subject matter is about is exposing communism. Yeah, it's like it's like whether whether intentional or not, that was what their films wound up being about. Wow. Um, but it's it's in the same way that like um, you could put movies into camps like, oh, these are uh, you know feminist movies. Like it's not uh-huh. like an organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's yeah. like oh, these these movies help progress feminism. Yeah. Or something like that. So that's that's like what this is. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Already I'm like, man, this guy is very interesting. Uh, but he did these movies called the Decalogue. Have you ever heard of this? That sounds familiar. So they are 10 one-hour films, and they are each based on uh, one of the Ten Commandments. Okay. And th- this is why... Oh, oh, wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> he had to get his tennis ball. Gilmore is like a, a moving tanker, like a moving ship. Because once, once he if begins, anything, <laughs> if anything gets in his way, you can't prevent it from happening. <laughs> no, you can't. Um, yeah, so the Decalogue are 10 one hour films um, about characters who are facing moral ethical dilemmas as they live in austere housing project, as they live in this austere housing project in Poland. And each one is a Ten Commandment, like loosely based on. Whoa, and and because of what's this, how's he spelled? How is uh, it spelled? D e k a l o g, and I want to let you know, listener, that I panicked and couldn't remember what D was called there for a second. The TV miniseries. Yeah, it's it's kind of it feels like it's one of those things that's uh, people define it as both. Um, okay, so I it's something potentially we could maybe cover on this podcast. But if you are doing a Ten Commandments, there there is a "Thou shall not lust," right? Isn't that a Ten Commandment? If we did this, it could be real intense. Yeah. If we did this, well, lust is a seven one of the seven deadly sins. Oh, maybe I'm getting that confused. Yeah. Um, but um, if we did this though, a Patreon episode would have to be the Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're you're very right. Um, let's see. What, what I'm trying to look up the the Ten Commandments. You better here. edit this part out. Why? You shall not covet. You shall not murder. You shall not lie. I thought there was a lust. You shall one, not. But... Um, I you know false idols. Ten Commandments in order. Here we go. You shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make unto thee any graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's what I was oh, thinking okay. of. And I, I just could potentially see you and I not being a fan of that movie. <laughs> well, that could well, be a tough interesting watch. About, so that actually, I would be interested in watching that Yeah. in general because based on how this movie blew, it's a, it's a very interesting message in this movie. Yeah. About a very horrific, con- a very horrific thing that happens. Yeah. So I, I would be interested in what he has to say about each of them, whether or not I would agree with them. Right. Yeah, no. And, and I think it's like, you know, so, so this movie blue, the, the, the blue color in the French flag stands for Liberty. And 
so this movie is about liberty, but it's very loosely about liberty. That that is certainly not at all the first uh, uh, word that came to mind when I if I was going to describe this movie. Um, it'll be fun to discuss what we think that means when we get there. But um, you know, uh, so I would imagine that the Ten Commandments thing is probably a similar thing. Yeah. Where where almost knowing the title actually informs how you view the material. Yeah. Um, which is cool when a title can do that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just slapped on there. He also, so he retires from films after uh, Red, um, and he's done, but he he did begin working on this other trilogy of movies, uh, which would have been Heaven, Hell, and Purgatory. Whoa. But uh, he did not complete them, and, and they've made two of them with two different directors, in 2002 and 2005, but no one has made Purgatory. Oh, that's ironic. I know, isn't that? Oh, I, <laughs> that just hit me. Um, but I feel like someone needs to oh, finish please, that. Oh, please, someone make it. Yeah, so, hey, maybe that could be a Halloween episode. <laughs> <laughs> the unfinished trilogy. Um, but yeah, so so he did he did that the, those movies before he did, he did the Decalogue before he did the Three Colors movies. Uh-huh. Obviously, they're the last three movies he makes. Um, and according to Stanley Kubrick, they're the only masterpiece he can think of. Whoa, huh? Yeah. Now, I could not find this quote outside of people saying Stanley Kubrick said this. Okay. And he okay. is such a legendary figure that I often take things about him with a grain of salt. Um, uh-huh. So I don't know if that's a real thing he said. But I do know that I can confirm that he, without a doubt, like thought they were incredibly insanely good works of art yeah um yeah i can see that yeah so um i have more but do you want to hit any actors or anything like that some so juliette benoche or something um plays our main character um she is also in the english patient is she the english patient no that's ray fines right uh well, yeah, it's Ray Fiennes, and then the the lead is also not her. The oh, lead okay. woman, I I can't remember Kristen who she Scott is. Thomas. Yeah, and she's in plenty. You've seen Kristen and stuff. She's also in uh, Clouds of Sills, Maria, Chocolat, Ghost in the Shell, the live action. Whoa. Uh, Winter Boy, Paradise Highway, Staircase, the HBO. Uh, oh wow! Show. Okay. Um. And just so much more. She She's in a crap ton. Yeah. French actress. I'm sure if we were French, we would uh, be a lot more familiar with. Not No, she's a in lot. a lot of American movies. But but I mean, there's probably a bunch of like classic French things that we haven't I mean, seen probably. that she stars in. I would imagine. But Micah, she's big. Yeah. Um, Charlotte Very plays Lucille, the Lady of the Night character okay um she is also in a tale of winter mrs hyde um a movie i cannot pronounce the title of a couple of them uh or le prestige de la mort and a lot of other french things and then helene vincent plays the journalist okay she is also in uh the count of monte cristo but not that one we're thinking of, a French one. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense that they would have a French one. Um, and then a lot of French movies. Yeah. Now, uh, can I ask you something? As you're looking at these, are the titles in French? Some of them are. 
Okay. But some of them I can't read the whole English title without clicking on it, and then it gives me the French title. Okay. That's a it that's a funny thing about IMDB. They they've made it so that the title a lot of the titles are now native to the language. Uh which I think they're doing that to respect it. And I get that. But as a someone who doesn't speak, say, Korean, it really makes it hard to find stuff now. Uh, so, like, oh. that movie starring um, uh, Choice Choi Min, is that his name? Yeah. Uh, where Min he's Sik. the teacher? Yeah. Oh, is it only, like, you can't, the uh, it, title is in Korean? Like, Yeah, you, it used to not be, and now yeah. it is, and I can, like... Is it, like, the violin player or something? No, it's something sim- even simpler than that. Yeah. But I now when I look it up, I'm like, I don't know how to look for this and movie we'll never anymore. Watch it. It's crazy, guys. We big fans of Kang Ho Song and we love watching we we've sought out movies with him just in it. Yeah. And yeah. there's even a movie with him and Troy Min Sik in it, and it's such a funny Coen Brothers esque movie. Don't remember what it's called. Look it up. <laughs> oh, was that the one with the ha- the where they're all at the house? They're all at the house. Oh yeah, that was funny. a good movie. What was that movie called? I don't know. I'll see if but I can find it. But we once happened upon this movie that Kang Ho Song was in called Taxi Driver, right? Yep, yep, Taxi yep, yep. Driver. Uh not the one you're thinking of. Um and it was just a wonderful movie. We yeah. watched it solely because he was in it and we ended up learning a lot about Korean history and it was just such a good story. And then around the same time, we found a poster that was somewhat, because the poster of Taxi Driver is Kang Ho Song just leaning out of a taxi window, smiling up at this at, at a bright blue sky. And it just uh-huh. looks like so hopeful. And then like around the same time, we found a poster of uh, Min Sik Choi. Uh, and he's like, a, he's like composing, but there's like children behind him. So yeah. he's like a music teacher. And yeah. he also, it's like very goldly lit and he's just smiling. And, and we've only so seen him in roles where he's like very, in, very, very creepy and, yeah. and creepy or that like one action that hero. He's in with or... Kang Ho Song is like the most not creepy I've seen him. Yeah. And that movie, uh, is called the quiet family. Uh, okay. and there's, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that would really like that movie. Yeah. Kind of a dark comedy. Oh, it's so good. Like, oh, we accidentally murdered someone kind of thing, or did we? It's, it's such a Coen Brothers plot. Yeah, it's real good. But anyway, we can't find that Min Sik Choi one, and it feels so incomplete, even though those movies have nothing to yeah. do with each other. Yeah. I, We're I, just big fans of both those dudes. Although, you know what? I should just look for it on... Um, Letterbox because they just put the title of the native language below the title, so okay. you can actually <laughs> find what you're looking for. Um, so I'm looking right now, but you keep talking. So also in this movie is Benoit Regent, Regent, uh, who plays Oliver, the our Olivier. That's well, not Olivier. That's the character's name. Oh yeah, you're right. The character's name is Olivier, but um, he is also in Dangerous Moves. He's in the the color red um may day wait not but not three colors red oh oh okay yeah. okay um and, and i mean shocking but not all french movies and shows uh, yeah okay um i am wondering if like this oh here it is the movie's called springtime okay but yeah it, it every time you first of all that's a hard thing to look up yeah springtime when you're trying to find it and then uh, number two again on imdb i don't think you can look up springtime anymore you have to like go through his filmography and find it and it it has the the south korean letters which i don't have a remote clue how to translate um 
So I don't like when they do that. Hmm. I think they should keep them in there. I think they should make it so that you can search by, you know, if I search something in French, I can find it in French. If I search something in English, I should still be able to find it. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb side tangent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something I think the people required of us. Would you would you not agree? Well, yeah, you gotta get the word out about that one movie I already forgot the title of. Springtime. No, the other one. Uh, a Quiet Family. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I don't think they were very quiet, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, very good. Maybe it's still on Amazon. I think that's where we watched it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about a little bit about this movie. Um, Roger Ebert calls this an anti-tragedy, and he calls the next one an anti-comedy, and then the other one an anti-something else, which we'll get to when we get there. So... I like that reading on the movie um, because it sounds like for those who have mistakenly chosen to not watch the movie, uh, yeah. I'm teasing you, but it is no, very good. No, it's a good. mistake. It's great. It, it is about a woman who loses her famous husband composer and her daughter in a car accident, and then it's her coping with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you hear that, you're like, oh, man, this is going to be really what a, heavy. What a dour movie. And it it is pretty dang depressing. But, but it is, I, I think I would agree with anti-tragedy because it is, like, very optimistic. Yeah. And especially reading about, uh, how do you pronounce his name again? Uh, Kislowski. Um, Kislowski. Kislowski. That's how you pronounce it, I believe. Um I reading about him, I'm like, it's kind of surprising that this movie is so so hopeful. Yeah. Um, because it seems like that's a pretty interesting and tough life to live. Yeah. Um, and he seems attracted to really big human themes that yeah. that typically I feel like, especially European audiences, don't necessarily go for hope in those things mm-hmm. or European creators. Uh, a lot of times. Uh, but anyway, so this movie is the Liberty of the Flag, and there this I did not catch. But there's a symbol seen throughout the film in the TV of people falling. Uh, I mean, I saw that. But um, they're either doing skydiving or bungee jumping, and the director is careful to show falls with no chords at the beginning of the film. But as the story develops, uh, the chords become more and more uh, uh, important. I mean, apparent as a symbol of a link to the past. Wow. And I actually view that not as much a symbol of a link to the past, but more as you are recovering from grief you, you're not just free-falling anymore. You, there's, like, a recovery happening. That's kind of what I thought when I read that. Yeah. Now you have a cord. Like, you're going to get pulled back up. Yeah. And you're going to be okay, maybe. Or you'll always get pulled back to the past. Oh, well, yeah, that works, too. But and, she is throughout the movie. Yeah. Um. It, so it's written by the director, Christoph, and then it's also written by Christoph Piesowicz, uh, uh, who is a member of who was a member of po- the Polish Senate and a lawyer, and he started collaborating with this director because um, Christoph wanted to document trials for mm-hmm. a documentary, and it led to them working on a movie called No End. And then they, like, he worked on Decalogue, and he oh wow, they became that's random kind of partners in a way. The cinematography, I was shocked to find out, is someone we have covered before. Is it the Andre guy? No. Oh. Uh, his name is Swavomir Ejak, uh, and I believe he's also Polish, I think. Um, 
I mean, he's definitely European. Uh, but he did Black Hawk Down, and he did a movie we've covered on this podcast years ago called Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Mm. Uh, which is one of the better looking movies too. They all look good. Oh, yes, yes. I guess but that's. I know, I know what you're saying. Uh, I mean, that's when they totally changed the the style of how it looks. Well, the tone again. really changes by movie five, Micah, because Voldemort's back, yes. Umbridge is at the school, and Harry's going through a lot of anger issues. Yes, that's true. I think that's when David Yates comes in too. Yeah, it's it's when the series like changes to the dark angst, um, and then the music is by Zbigniew. Preisner, who did the music for the Decalogue and White and Red, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. Is he the person that wrote the original, like the music yeah. that we hear in the movie? <laughs> if you didn't watch the movie, that sounded like a really dumb question for me. But remember, earlier we said that the main character's husband is a famous composer. So egg yeah. on your face for not watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. And, and you got to be pretty talented to make something that's like... Oh, I, I don't like whenever you watch a movie and someone's an artist, whether it's painting or music or something, and we're actually seeing the painting, we're actually hearing the music that they're creating in it. Yeah. A, a fictional so, movie. Fictional, fictional. Yeah. And it's supposed like everyone's saying you're the best. You're so good. It is so hard to actually make it feel like it's true. Absolutely. And this movie does it because because the, the composer was working on this piece. Uh, that was called the the united like the the unification of Europe. I think is what oh, the piece okay. was called. Yeah, and he never finished it. And so throughout the movie, there's an attempt to finish it, which we'll talk about. Uh, but it sounds beautiful, yeah. and it sounds very intense, and it and it sounds for for me as a musician, it sounded like oh, this is too complicated for me to have written or something like that, which I think is pretty key. Yeah. Um. Because, yeah, sometimes you watch something, especially when you get into music, where where it is like, you know, like like there was um, the movie A Ghost Story, and there uh, um, we watched some of it. Didn't finish it because it was really boring. Oh, was someone a musician in that? And Yeah, Casey Affleck was, and, and, and he just wrote this song, and, and to me, it didn't hit anything for me and and uh i know josiah is listening and i know he'll disagree with me because <laughs> i remember he had that song on his ipod so maybe there's a discussion there but i feel like this is pretty indisputable like oh this sounds like an epic orchestral thing yeah um and sometimes movies can't pull that off and in the movie they're trying to figure out what the chorus is supposed to sing at a certain point and yeah because their husband dies and our main character julie and olivier are trying to finish it and they're, they knew that he intended to put a chorus in it, and they couldn't figure out what he wanted. Yeah. And they figured out that they he wanted the chorus to sing First uh, Corinthians 13. Uh, that, oh, they, that's where it was? Sing, they okay. for sure sing this part in the movie. Okay. If I, This is the First Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So it's just about if I have love, if I don't have love. I oh, have I thought you were going to read the whole passage. No, I think that's kind of all that was shown in the movie, like that we heard. Oh, no, they, they do like the whole passage. Wait, keep reading. That's it. a long passage. Um, so that, so also, and if I have a prophetic, prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but not have love, 
I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then it goes into love is patient, love is kind. Yeah, all of that was in there. Even the love is patient. Oh, I don't like, remember that part. Yeah, I did. I did the whole thing. That was like the montage at the end of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I was just swept away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the movie. Oh, I do want to point out, fun note, one a movie that pulls this off in a way that very few movies have pulled it off is Dewey Cox, Walk Hard. Or Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, because they write music that is, like, as good as Johnny Cash. Well, and it's like, you could listen to that music, even okay. though it's joke music. What do you think about Popstar? Never stop popping. I think Popstar does it, too. Yeah. Well, I think what helps is it's a lonely island. Yeah. No, yeah, it's just, it's They're funny that talented. sometimes comedian, yeah, com- comic stuff can actually do a better job at representing music. Yeah. Uh, or, or, because they know what they're spoofing. So they this get just it. reminded me of a fun YouTube video for people to look up. Just gives you a little giggle through the day, and it's Dave Grohl showing Jack Black, Kyle how, Gass, Kyle Gass, how to write a pop song. Yeah, it's very funny. It is very funny, and it's very true. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, so this movie comes out in France, September eighth, nineteen ninety three, but <laughs> but then it comes out in Poland, Warsaw, uh, October tenth, nineteen ninety three, and. Uh, couldn't find a budget, but in the U.S. it made $1.3 million, and worldwide it made $1.38 million. So it made like 500000 in the U.S. Because mm-hmm. it was like one point three three in domestic. Anyway, um, so that's all the notes I have. Do you have any more actors, or no. are you good? So the movie begins. And already, <laughs> one shot in, and I was like, okay, <laughs> my jam. Um the it's it's like a, a a shot I've never seen in a movie before, where a car it's like a, a they put the camera underneath the car and it's focused on the wheel and they're on a highway, yeah and it just doesn't make sense yeah and then you know it says three colors blue mm-hmm. now um be, because this movie I mean I did write out the plot pretty well and I think we can go beat by beat but as far as this movie being about liberty. What what do you like read that as? What how do you view that? In the and with the lens of liberty. Yeah, because so, that's the that's well, the color representation. Something I read because I, I you don't often go on the trivia anymore for movies, but if they're really interesting like these ones, sometimes it's fun. Yeah. And one thing I did see was the idea of it being freedom. It's like how can she? How can this movie be about freedom when her she loses her husband and daughter in a car accident? Right. But the idea is she. She does gain freedom from a marriage and motherhood. That being said, yeah. I think she was in a happy marriage. We find out that he was cheating on her, but she never she didn't know that. I think she yeah. just thought it was a happy marriage. And then there, there's like no mention of any strain with her do- her like five year old daughter. So both happy things for her. Yeah, that are taken from her. But but I think that the filmmaker is trying to posit that she is free from those things now. I don't think that, but I don't think the director is saying that marriage and motherhood was bogging her down or like limiting no. her. No, it's just I think it's it's view it's taking this tragedy and trying to look at it optimistically moving forward. Yeah, but it sounds weird and like bad and like. Throughout the movie, she is doing everything she can to forget. Yeah. Her daughter and her husband. 
and is basically like it wants nothing to do with it anymore. But throughout the movie, she is pulled back, whether by people in her life who were there while she was married and had a kid, or she'll hear the music that her yeah. husband composed or she composed. Um, so I also read this other thing that was super interesting. There okay. are at least three times in this movie when the music gets really loud and the screen fades to black. Oh, I feel like that happened like five times. Okay, so maybe five times. And then it fades back and yeah. we're in the same moment, same scene. And I think so, what, what I read... Okay, let's talk about what we think, though, oh, first. Okay. Uh, because I, I had a thought about that, and I don't. I, I want to sound smarter than whoever wrote that. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I felt like... So at, at what's... Yeah, so what I what I kind of read that was uh, is that feeling that grief has over people mm-hmm. where you can be having a conversation with someone or swimming in a pool or whatever and then for no reason at all or because of something they said you're completely ripped out of the moment and you're like plunged back into the feeling of grief and then you have to go on and live through that moment again. That's how I took it too. Yeah. Same way. What do you read though? What I read though was that you, in filmmaking, fade outs like that, fade to blacks like that, and then you usually fade into a next scene. It marks a passage of time. Yeah. But in this, like quite literally, there is no passage of time. But yes. But yeah. to her, in her deep depression and grief, it's as if she time does is not a thing. Time doesn't matter. Yeah. So yeah, it's as as if like that is passage of time to her. Right. Something like I think it is similar to what we're saying. Something triggers her, reminds her of what she's trying to forget. And it's as it's like she it's like she blacks out for what maybe feels like a lifetime. And then she like comes back to and nothing's changed. She's still living her life. Yeah. And it's it's details like that that I think this is why this movie is so popular and why it sticks with people. Yeah. Um, I think that's like the takeaway to me is like like if I was gonna tell someone you should watch this movie, I'd be like, Well they and, and they were like, I don't wanna watch this movie, it sounds bad. I, I would be like, They do this like filmmaking thing that's really impactful that doesn't like make sense to you as the viewer. And it's like in a really intentional good way. Yeah. And they I, I was hoping that the color blue would be used a lot, obviously. It's, and boy was it. It was. And of course, like with the premise of this movie, it's like, okay, this makes sense that this one's blue because this really tragic thing happened and she's going to be depressed the whole time, which uh-huh. she pretty much is. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that blue often showed up. It would be like reflected on her face. It would be like the color, overall color of the scene. Yeah. Everything. It's, it's always when she remembered something. Right. So you have that, that fade out thing that happens to you, but then you also have the color blue more prominently showed up when she was recalling her past. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically when she was playing music and then literally when she, she had her daughter's light fixture that was, that she kept. That's the one thing she kept. Right. Was that, um, so I, I was just trying to look up if there was like a making of documentary. Of course there wasn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, but one of the first things that popped up was Roger Ebert, on his show uh, reviewing the movie. And so I was like, oh, this would be fun to watch. And so I watched it, and and the way he read the the music, fading to black, playing yeah. the music, sometimes showing the score, and then fading back in, 
Um, he read that as like she was trying so hard to destroy that thing, but it kept pulling her back in. I think that's true. And I think that it was just interesting. I, and I, I, that's what I would, I dig about this movie is like, I don't think Ebert is wrong and I don't think I'm wrong, but I don't think the two things that we're saying necessarily complement each other. And that's kind of the beauty of this movie is, is you, the listener might watch it and you might kind of have a different reading on that. Um, because this movie asks a lot of questions, uh, even just plot-wise, there's some things like, did she write her husband's music? It's unanswered. We don't we don't know a definite. It's not like a shocking moment. Um, even like the mistress stuff is still that's pretty clear, but like the way she deals with it is very quiet. Mm-hmm. And um, there was another thing that I it escapes me at the moment, but what's What's interesting, you know, this is a perfect example of, like, uh, American movies versus European movies. Yeah. Um, and this was a, also a conversation I wanted to have. You, you told me, just shut up last night, save it for the podcast, mm-hmm. because um, I think that a lot of European movies, particularly the French movies that I've seen, seem to have plots that are, like, like if you just read the plot, you're like, okay, woman, woman's composer, husband, and child die in a car accident, and she attempts to live life again, finishing a piece of music. That sounds in my like American brain. That sounds very um, like that. That sounds. Just say it. It sounds boring. No, 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 no. It does. No, no, no. It doesn't sound boring. It's uh, like I can see what that movie is, and and it is slower, but it's still like. There's a lot of plot, and there's going to be a very specific ending, and yada yada yada. And and I think that f- European movies are like oftentimes about an extraordinary event, an extraordinary event, but the mundanity and the ordinariness of living through that event and what goes on mm-hmm. around it. Because mm-hmm. another movie I thought of, which is an extremely influential movie called um, uh, 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 Blow Up, Blow Up. Uh, that movie is like there's this photographer and he took a picture and in the picture there might be someone who was killing someone else and he's not sure. I mean, doesn't that sound like, okay, we got yeah. like a David Fincher movie yeah. on our hands. But most of the movie is him like sleeping with women, taking pictures, like buying stuff. And then occasionally he's like trying to figure out whether or not this thing happened. And And I feel like... Well, then say the American version. Uh, well, oh yeah, and then and then because it's an interesting comparison. Yes, thank you. Uh, Brian De Palma made a version, like kind of a version, hearkening to that movie, where he's kind of paying homage to it, called Blow Up. You where mean Blow Out. One of them's called Blow Out. One of them's called Blow Up. I'm sorry. Blow Up is the French movie. Blow Out is the Brian De Palma movie. And in that movie, John Travolta ha- is like a sound engineer, mm-hmm. and he sees this car accident happen, but he hears in his recording that like the tire blew out and he thinks it was shot. Mm -hmm. And that movie is like an action thriller, like Mm -hmm. all the way through. Also, both of these movies rock like (laughs) very worth watching. Blow up. Um, I watched, why was I not included? Unbelievable. I, I think I just didn't watch it with you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But I don't remember you watching that movie. Yeah, I watched it. And I keep a letterbox on you while you're keeping one on yourself. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, 
so so it's like the difference where one's like tantalizing and exciting and the other one's like you know if you did potentially witness a murder you would probably like live a normal life for the most did part did that guy even go and, to the police uh I think there was a scene where he does See, attempt well, to go to the police. But what you're saying is the John Travolta, the Brian De Palma movie is that is what the movie's about. Like that, yeah, that is yeah. like what John Travolta is doing in that movie is he is investigating, trying to prove and, and is kind of uncovering a conspiracy about a political thing. Yeah. In contrast to the other one, that is nothing like that. Yeah. It's like that. Uh, like I had read that the plot was, you know, this murder thing. And when I finished the movie, I was like, I don't think that's the right way you should frame this movie. Cause it sets you up to think it's going to be this action packed movie. And it's not, yeah, that's a byproduct of what he is doing in the movie. Yeah. It's not the whole, and there's not even resolution to that in the movie. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, I said it so much better last night. Maybe we should record it last night after the movie, but I feel like in our experiences traveling abroad, we're not experts, folks. We are not experts. But it feels like in Europe there is just definitely more of a, you know, hey, we're going to chill out vibe. We're going to go out to dinner and we're going to be there for two, three hours. Mm -hmm. We're going to get a bottle of wine. We're going to chill out. We're going to ask, why are we here? Like existential things. I feel like that's. Yeah. Not not that there aren't American movies that ask the same question, but at the end of the day, they're still story driven. Yeah, well, I I haven't watched, you know, I've mostly watched American movies because I'm American. Well, it's why, like, if you watch the movie Tar, which is one of my favorites of last year, uh, you would, I, I know there's plenty of American filmmakers that are doing this, but, but like, if you didn't know who directed it, if you had to guess, you would probably be like, oh, I don't know, probably an, a European. Because yeah. there's, it's like a slower moving movie. Did a European directed? No, it's an American. Um, yeah. Guy who was in The Piano Player in Eyes Wide Shut is the director. Oh, right. But all this to say, it's like in Europe, there's there's maybe less of a like in America, we live in a capitalist society. You have to achieve stuff. You always have to be working. You got to go. You got to go. You got to go. And in Europe, you're encouraged to chill out. So the fact that movies are and this one in particular, it's like it's interested in the little moments. It's not going to like spend a half hour building up this intense crash at the beginning of the movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's like action set piece. You, you, we don't see the crash. We hear the crash, and then we see the remnants of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's I It's actually kind of crazy how they did the crash in this movie. <laughs> it is. It's impressive. Yeah. But it's like this movie's concerned about, like, setting up a shot where you see the doctor talking to her in her eye. Mm-hmm. It's, it's literally about these tiny, tiny details. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge difference between European and American cinema. Yeah. And um, it's it's why it's taken me a long time to even get into European cinema. cinema. And now yeah. I feel like I'm old enough that I actually kind of get it. And it's less like, oh, every booby has to be. You sound like you said every booby. Every booby <laughs> has to be like Inception, you know, where it's always crazy. Mm-hmm. They they don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Do you want to, anything to add well, to that? Well, it's just making me think of, we watched White Noise recently. Big recommend. That movie was so cool. Um, but. When we're like the first, like 15 minutes into the movie, I was enjoying it a lot. Yeah. I could not understand a single word someone was saying. I know that's the point. It's all white noise. But huh? I, I, part, part of me was just like, I just, part of me at, at a point was like, I just need to know because I felt like I remember this was based on a book. I just need to know that it is. 
Yeah. And so I, I looked it up and saw that it was not only based on a book, but it's postmodern. Yeah. So for, when, when I like read that and it like unlocked it for me, it was like, it's like I started understanding what people were saying. Yeah. I, I just needed the context for that. And, and so, because that, that movie's like, if we're talking about American cinema, pretty unconventional. Absolutely. Yeah. It's probably, if I read the book, I probably, <laughs> because most, most postmodernist books are like this, it's unfilmable. Right. And it was awesome. Yeah. But I hope that makes sense kind of in relation to, to this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I just think that there's, there's something so exciting to me as someone who enjoys art that like, you know, I often think about the first time I watched, um, a Hayao Miyazaki movie, which was spirited away. And when I was watching the movie, it was so outside of the realm of what I was used to plots doing. And then I followed it up with my neighbor Totoro, which Which is even more kind of stream of consciousness in a way. Yeah. Meandering slice of life. Yeah, and uh, well, actually, I watch Howls in between. But anyway, all that to say, I, I like those movies transported me into this other world where it was like, oh, I almost feel like I'm missing something because this is so different from an American movie mm-hmm. that that it's confusing. But I'm like, I don't know why, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I feel like when we started watching Indian movies this last spring and summer, it was a similar vibe where it's like, oh, they they have like a whole different way of doing this that as an American audience member, I think I have to like put that aside and kind of go in fresh Mm -hmm. and recognize that maybe I'm going to miss just the subtlety of this is how these movies are. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you you go into an American movie and you expect it a certain way. Pretty much. And, and I, I just think that that's, I mean, that's what's exciting about art Mm -hmm. and you know, watching a movie like this movie blue it, it, to me, I, I don't know. Do you feel this way? Like, I, I feel like movies like this are always like, I got a cup of fresh water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You totally. feel that way? Especially after watching some X-Men movies? Yeah. Absolutely. When, and, you know, the another thing I think we try to stress on this podcast is it's cool and, and fine to like comic book movies and mm-hmm. action movies and stuff. We love a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. But there is something, like, so refreshing about okay, we watched four X-Men movies, and now we're watching a movie about a woman struggling with grief. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I'm excited to jump back into X-Men, but it's like, yeah, it's so nice. Variety is just wonderful. Yeah. And just the general trappings of different people making stuff is exciting. It is. But this movie. Yeah. Um, so she's the only one who survives a car accident. Husband and daughter die. Yeah. She wakes up in the hospital and hears this news. And is in the hospital recovering for a while. So this is kind of a movie too, where I would say there's just not much dialogue. No, it is a lot of just looking, feeling. <laughs> that's kind of it. Watching yeah. her walk around a room, and what she's doing. Um, it's not boring though. No, boy, oh boy. But uh, it, it was so she is in the hospital and she breaks a window. Yeah. I think one to distract the nurse, but also out of anger because of what's happened. And then she goes to the medicine cabinet, grabs a bottle of pills and tries taking like tries killing herself, but she can't do it. 
Yeah. And then she's continued to recover in the well, hospital. And th- that's that's a wonderful moment because the nurse yeah. finds her, and she's just looking at her as she's spitting up the pills, and she's like, "I can't do it." And she's like, "I broke the window. I'm sorry." And the nurse is like, "It doesn't matter." And, and they just they just linger on it for so long. And and again, that that illustrates like this this would this could potentially be an epic moment, mm-hmm. an in, an exciting moment, and it's really treated like, "Isn't this sad?" And even the nurse is like, "It's okay. Let's just get you back." Yeah. It's going to be fine. It's very quiet. It's yeah. a very quiet movie. So while she's recovering, she misses the funeral, but she's able to like watch it on a tiny little thing. I've n- tiny little <laughs> portable TV <laughs> yeah. thing I've never seen before. Panasonic though. Yes. Um and yeah, she she's watching the funeral of her daughter and husband. Um I I thought it was it was interesting that while the, the the first person that gets up to speak and is starting to give a eulogy, it's he's only talking about the husband because, uh-huh. because they they establish he's like the world he was the world's best living composer of yeah. the time. Yeah. So to lose him is like a crazy tragedy. Yeah. And then she. And and then, um, she she starts crying. She moves the the little portable TV away, and she loses um, she loses what is it called? Reception. Reception. Yeah. And it goes blank, and we yeah. never hear anything about the daughter. That's interesting. I didn't I I didn't even pick up on that. I I think <laughs> story wise, there is more to explore with the husband. Obviously, the daughter yeah. was only five, and to lose a child is tragic. Period. Yeah. That's it. And and I, I think it's explored in, in ways that aren't spoken throughout the movie, but uh-huh. are shown, like through the, the light fixture and stuff. Right. But yeah. But yeah, yeah, the daughter is not, there's not like a big mother moment in this movie. There's, no. I mean, there's really not like the Oscar scene or whatever, sure. you know, where it's, where she's throwing stuff and she's like, I just miss my husband. No, it's very quiet. Yeah. Um, she's visited by uh, a journalist while in the hospital. Um, yes. And the, the, the journalist is, it was very rude. Just like asking oh. her questions about her husband. And, and it's and, kind of like, I'm not here to interview you, but she's still asking her questions. And okay. Okay. Th- so before we move past this scene, this had one of my favorite shots in the whole movie where, it's like before the woman asks her a question, the camera dollies in on her and she's just bathed in this artificial blue light. Yeah. And then it cuts to black. I think it's like the first the time first it does time. that. Yeah. And then it and then it comes back and then the music played again, just a little portion of it. And then it dollies out. And it's like these are those beautiful moments where, you know, realism in film I, I, I like what I like what um Christoph said earlier in his career where he was like, I felt like I could tell stuff more honestly and show real life more honestly by making fiction. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a moment like that where you bathe someone in blue light and you dolly in. She has this memory hit her dolly out. It, well, it's so artificial. Not, but not, not even just a memory, but a person is entering her bubble yeah. to ask her questions about her past. And yeah. that's why we have the blue. That's why we have that fade to black. And it like it expresses something that just a, a static camera and a real person in grief doesn't get across. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Love that. Yeah. Um Yeah, and and she asks her, is it true you wrote your husband's music? Yeah. Which again, I ex 
I'm trained to think like, okay, that'll be a big conversation slash, uh, uh, you know, like big reveal. Well, at I'm one already point assuming that she's always resented her husband and she's like not really grieving her husband. She's grieving her daughter mm-hmm. because her husband stole, like stole the limelight. We find out soon that he has had a mistress. So just assuming that he's been a bad guy, but they yeah. never do that. They never do. Yeah. That. By I... all accounts, he was, <laughs> well, well, being an adulterer, but by all accounts, he seems like he was a fine husband and father. There's like no, like yeah. she never really has a bad word to say about him. Yeah. But so she, she goes home and they live in like a freaking castle. Oh yeah. It's crazy. But, um, they're, she she goes back home and while she's kind of going through the house, it's cutting to this other man and this other room. And I thought he was in the house, but he, he was in a conservatory, yeah. her husband's conservatory, and he was cleaning out his desk. And he had this folder of all of these music notes as well as pictures. And that's when we see the husband with a woman that's not Julie. Yeah. So that's when we find out that he had been cheating on her. But it, and, and again, uh, it's just great. This movie's really good. Uh, when I first saw that, I was like, okay, I'm trained to think that he's cheating on his wife. But then at the same time, I was like, but this movie is so subtle and whatever that I thought, I don't know how old these pictures are. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I thought they were pretty recent, but yeah. Well, but what, yeah. what I mean to say is like, I, I was like, I don't know if that's what the movie's trying to tell us right now. I, I don't know that information, and I don't know if this is important yet. Of course it is. And then they tell us later and they clear it up, which I was... I was thankful that they made it very apparent and maybe I'm giving the movie credit for something it didn't even try to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just felt like that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> now I feel stupid. Um, okay. But she uh, goes, is going through the, she goes to her, goes through the house, goes to her daughter's room. Well, she asks someone, did you guys clear, clear out the blue room, everything in it? And they said, yeah. yes, she goes into the blue room and there's a slight fixture in there that she kind of breaks a little bit. Yeah. Like, like physically breaks it. And I mean, it was her daughter's room, presumably. Yeah. And it's almost like they removed everything but the light fixture. Yeah. And it, was it, there anything that referenced the daughter for that room? Well, there was drawings on the wall. There were. Okay. And stuff. So either it was the daughter's bedroom or playroom. Okay. So she wanted it all removed because she didn't want to, she didn't want to come home to her daughter's room. Yeah. That would not have her daughter in it. Yeah. So I think that's why she gets angry that the chandelier or the, the life fixture still there and like rips it a little bit. Yeah. But it's because it's reminding her of her grief. And then shortly after she finds their housekeeper in the pantry crying, like sobbing and oh, she's asking yeah. her like, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? And the housekeeper says, because you're not. And they had just such a sweet moment together. It, yeah. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Um, so then she, yeah, she tries to sell, she's like having them sell everything and she's going to purge it and leave. Mm-hmm. So she's having that, that intense response of like, this part of my life is over. I guess this would be another example like of Liberty where it's like, I'm free from all this. But she does say later in the movie, I forget who she's talking to, but she's like, I am done with marriage. I am done with family. I am done with any responsibility because they're all traps. Because oh, people yeah. people die and they leave you. Yeah. So she's having a, a very aggressive response to grief uh-huh. that could be seen as unhealthy. Oh, yeah. 
but you think <laughs> but but it is like she is taking advantage of the it's like she's taking advantage of this new newfound freedom in a way that might be unhealthy but by the end of the movie yeah she's like accepting the freedom fully yeah. i think is it yeah that's it's just so interesting i i just didn't think of the movie with li- liberated as as a, as the key word to it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, liberation, freedom, liberty, they're very positive words. They're, they're, they're they don't on, always mean, they don't inherently no, mean that. No, she you didn't know. want to be freed from that. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, but yeah, there, there's this wonderful shot where she is looking at a piano and she, you're hearing the score and she, you're watching it go along. And then she yanks, she like yanks out the wood in the piano and slams the lid. Yeah. And and I you know that's the moment where she's like, okay, the music is going away, and she goes to, uh, is it the conservatory? Is at the same place where I don't the know, music but a lady stored? who has all these sheets of music, like she like stores them. Yeah, and she she pulls out the sheet of music that he'd been working on. It's the the um, See, u- unification point, of Europe. This at this point, I had assumed that this was hers. Just because we had been told, like someone asked oh, the question, yeah. did you write all the music? So at this point, I was like, I was just curious, like, is uh-huh. this really hers or not? Yeah. I think it's her husband's. Um, I think that this is what I think. Okay. I think that they collaborated. Yeah. I think it was at least equal or she did more. Okay. But he was the ultimate composer. Yeah. And got all the recognition for it. And because, well, we'll get to the end of the movie because I think it's because of the question that's posed later from Olivier. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But she takes the, the sheet music that, and, and, and the, the woman who gives it to her, like says, okay, I made I, there's like a lot of corrections, but she goes, it's beautiful. Yeah. This is beautiful. So everyone's setting this up as like, this is like the real thing he was going to make it, it. They make it feel like the, he was working on his magnum opus Yes. or they were, however that relationship breaks yeah. down. This was going to be like the thing that would change the world. Yeah. And then she takes it. She takes it and it's the only copy that she knows of. Wink, wink. But the only copy. Yeah. And she goes to a dump truck and throws it in and destroys it. And we see it getting destroyed. We see it getting destroyed. And it's like, okay. Yeah. That's where she's going. And then does this happen after? Well, okay. So she gets an apartment, whatever. Not yet. Okay. So, so what, so what happens next is she calls Olivier. Yeah. Okay. So she's at the home, the now empty home. The only thing that's left there is a mattress. Yeah. And she's emptying her purse and she finds a, a lollipop, a blue lollipop. And it kind of sends her spiraling because it was for her daughter. Oh, duh. And she... <laughs> You picked up all the daughter stuff that I didn't. <laughs> you gotta notice anything that's the color blue, and then the next movie, anything that's the color white, yeah, uh, anything that's red. Um, but she unwraps the the lollipop and eats her grief. Yeah, she eats it. Yeah, because yeah. I think she's just continuing to stuff it down. Yeah. Um, and then she calls Olivier, and this is how like brief and gruff the dialogue is, where the first thing she says is, "Do you love me?" Yeah. And he says, yes. And she said, well, he says, we, and, (laughs) and she says, yeah, we've been to France. She says, for how long have you loved me? And I think he's like, ever since I started working with 
Patrice, the husband. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, come over. Yeah. And it, and it felt, because sometimes the, this kind of thing in movies just doesn't, like, oh, your husband just died and you're going to sleep with this other man. It just doesn't work for me a lot of times. Yeah. But th- there was something about the way this movie is set up and written and framed and the shots and stuff where I was like, yeah, I buy it. This makes sense to me. Well, it's just, I it, it is just so jarring, all of it. Yeah. So it's just, this happens and it's like, I don't think she should have done that. That seems pretty, like, like I don't think she's in the right frame of mind. Like, yeah. like it's, it feels like she's taking advantage of a person. Yeah. If and it all, it kind of actually, what's funny you saying that is I almost, it almost feels like he's taking advantage of her. Well, you could also see it that way too, for sure. Because she's in such a emotional state. It's like, should you really try be like, okay, cool. Yeah, I do love you. Let's have sex. Like yeah. that, that seems really weird to me but it also feels like they have you know maybe a history or you know there's a relationship there i don't think that they were doing anything prior yeah i don't think it was a sexual relationship but i mean they a familiarity yeah um yeah she knew she had a feeling but again see this is what's beautiful about this movie is is it doesn't answer all these questions um Mm -hmm. and and i you know if you watch this movie i'd be curious to hear what you thought about some of the things we're discussing or if you disagreed with us or whatever because I think a lot of people could get a lot of different things out of this. Mm-hmm. But then she gets an apartment mm-hmm. in Petty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew that because later they said, we got to go to Mont... Montparnasse. Parnassi. And folks, we've been there. And I was like, cool. This is the in Paris. The middle finger of Paris. Yeah. D- would that's you want not, to explain that's, that? That's not where she lives. Oh, it, Montparnasse kind of cool. is like the one skyscraper scraper in Paris. And it's... The only way that basically the city of Paris allowed people to build it is if it was outside of downtown. So it's like way outside of downtown. Uh-huh. And well, we went to it. You can go to the top and there's like, you get a glorious view of the, <laughs> of the night sky. Just crazy. And the, and the Eiffel Tower and everything. <laughs> but they were saying that uh, like Paris does not want to be a skyscraper city. Yeah. But this one place is like, well, we want to build the skyscraper. And they're like, hey, you build it all the way over there away from all of us. Yeah. And that's why they call it the middle finger of Paris. Yeah. Because it's just this lone skyscraper. And Parisians do not like it. No. The, uh, even it today. is an eyesore. It is. It, well, compared like, to the rest of what's going on down there. No, it's like, it's like um, I'm overjoyed that we were able to go. And I, yeah. it, I thought it was really, really cool. And it was super fun. And I think it was one of my mom's favorite things we did on the trip, just yeah. seeing all of Paris. But it is like when you. <laughs> They're playing like. Taylor Swift and Black Eyed Peas are just like blaring it up there and you could buy like, you know, $9 glasses of wine yeah. and stuff. <laughs> but, but it is kind of funny because it's like, oh yeah, but if you live in that city, that sucks. Yeah. Because it is this big historical city. Like there, everywhere you look, there's history. Yeah. And then there's this like, you know, some, a capitalist dude is like, let's make some money and build a skyscraper. You know, it feels very real estate in a bad way. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, um... So she gets an apartment, and um, then we have this this kind of strange scene um, where she looks out of her window and she sees this man getting beat up by three other men, and then the man runs into her apartment building and locks her out of it. And while she's locked out for the night, well, she, she locked herself out. Oh, she did. Yeah, he was. He oh. didn't get in her. Oh, room. He, you're saying he ran into the apartment building, not her ran into apartment. the apartment building. He's yeah. like knocking, and and it's like this man clearly needs help, but you know she's like alone. What is mm-hmm. she gonna do? 
and maybe maybe that's part of why the scene is in there is just showing like here's your newfound freedom you like don't yeah. have security yeah um and and then she she goes out of her apartment and looks in the hallway and she goes is anyone there after things have kind of calmed down and then she says it again and then her door shuts behind her and she's locked out mm-hmm. and she spends the night on the stairwell mm-hmm. and she witnesses uh, a floor down that she sees the the lady of the night there and the man next right next door <laughs> lady of the night <laughs> i don't know it's fun um and then the man next door comes into her apartment yeah and um and then the next day she's visited by a neighbor who's like we need you to sign this thing the- it's the wife of that man she says oh yeah. i did not yeah, catch she that she says we don't want whores yeah in here and Julie, Lo- loose women and ho- she's a whore. Yeah. yeah. And Julie says, I, I'm not going to sign it. Like, like that's just none of my business. Yeah. And, and so she just doesn't sign it. Yeah. And so then soon after that, the, the other woman comes to her apartment with flowers and is like, I get to stay because of you. Thank you. Yeah. And she just lets herself into her apartment and starts looking around very comfortable. Uh, and Julie is obviously a little uncomfortable. Yeah. It's kind of strange. But in a way, it's like she's trying to have no attachments, no trappings, and people are just like coming into her apartment. It kind of yeah. sounds like a sitcom. Yeah. No, yeah. Like yeah, premise, yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking about what you're saying. I, yeah, that's, I, I like. Because how from you here on that. out, that woman, Lucille, like befriends Julie, whether or not Julie wants it. Yeah. But Julie needs it. Yeah. Because there, there's a time when, um, I can't remember. Does does Lucille help Julie before Julie helps her? Uh, I feel like Julie. So what does Lucille help her with in the movie? The rats. Uh, that's before I think. So I, I have I, it written down, but we're, we are jumping ahead. I know, I'm just skipping. I'm just getting through this part. Oh, okay, okay. But uh, Julie has a rat that gave birth to more rats in her apartment. Yeah, and she's freaking out, and 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 this is when Gilmore peaked up uh-huh. like he was on the couch and he looked up because he was hearing that he's kind of looking up a little bit right now by the way we're pretty sure it doesn't like christian bale and that's not gonna fly in the macaw household we were watching the pale blue eye <laughs> and there were a couple scenes where he just would look up and bark he barked at him. he barked it and our dog does kind of a growl bark too it was a little weird yeah and it was just close-up shots of christian bale and then there he just has a worried look on his face sometimes when he looks at the tv uh-huh. and he had it and i was like oh man he is not a bailhead. He is not, and that's not okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she has rats in her apartment. She can't deal with it, so she she borrows a cat from a neighbor Yeah. to take care of the rats, and then later on, Lucille finds out what happens. Julie can't deal with it, and Lucille offer, offers oh, to that clean, is up, first. Yeah. clean up the mess. Yeah. Um, and then, then Julie helps Lucille in the middle of the night because Lucille is working at a club, at a, I think it's a wow, strip club. Wow, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just getting through this part. Okay. But, but working at a strip club, and she sees... It's a sex... It's like a peep show. They have sex on stage and oh, stuff. Oh, that's what's happening. Because I was a little more shocked than if I, it was a strip club scene. Well, it's a European movie, Micah. Um, so Lucille, when she was out there, she saw her father. Yeah, and she just needed someone to come and say hi, basically. Talk to her. Talk to her. Well, we'll we'll probably touch on those things again. Sure. Um, but there but that, were... that's how someone like is like is sucked into her life. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a pretty wild. Um, oh 
crud. I just I just crud. crud? <laughs> um so I I found out I was looking, you know, looking up stuff for the movie. I'm going to put this lower in my notes and they had to do so I guess they like couldn't get like actual rat sounds. Okay. So there was there's a voice actor who did it. Really? And do you want to know who did it? Who? Pat Oswalt. Okay, that's not funny. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> you know what's funny about that too though on another level? I wrote that down so that I would remember to do it. That's that's Pat crazy. Pat Oswalt has the coolest career because he's a fan of everything uh-huh. and he gets to be in everything yeah so if that was even true like he happened to be a a big fan of this director uh-huh. he'd probably be in this movie not but not 1993 though, and i'm not complaining about that no 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 i he's like i'm happy that whenever he has you the see him in something it's you just can feel nothing but joy because you know he loves whatever this like pop yeah. culture thing is it's not like how ryan reynolds has been recently where he shows up in a movie and you're like of course he's in this no, you see Patton in it, and it's like I'm laughing yeah. immediately. But uh, yeah, I I wrote that down That's last funny. night because I wanted to make that joke. Um, Hardy har har. <laughs> uh, please go to Apple or iTunes and and uh, give us a five star review and tell us how much you liked that. <laughs> I saw we did finally get another review. Yeah. So um, I think someone just started. I did but- the other day. <laughs> It was you. <laughs> oh, I thought I'd done it before. No, you had to have, because I've. You can you can keep starring it, but it only counts one. Oh, so okay. I'm sure you've done it. Okay. okay, but someone else did it, and and it helps people find the show. Yeah. So make sure you star it. Um, you know, we need to get by the end of this year, we need to get to four D million listeners. Forty. I want to go to Abu Dhabi. I want to meet that tier goal. Yeah, because we do have on our Patreon.com slash Micah McCaw, if we get 10,000 patrons, we're going to record an episode in Abu Dhabi. Now, if we get 75 patrons, we're going to cover every single Studio Ghibli movie on Patreon. If we get 50 patrons, no, when we get 50 patrons, we're going to cover every Pixar movie that we haven't covered yet. So sign up for Patreon, $3 a month. That is literally less than a cup of coffee a month uh, because coffee is now like $5 for a cup. And that's okay. But, okay, let's get back to the movie. Um, so <clears throat> she keeps going to this coffee shop throughout the movie, and she sees this man. Let's talk about the recorder man. Um, she sees this man who's playing a recorder. That's like, is there any lamer name for an instrument? I know. I've always hated that. Yeah, it's not a good name. But What's he's playing a piccolo? it. A piccolo is uh, like a, f- a higher pitch flute, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, do you know that there's something called a piccolo snare, and that's a higher pitch drum snare? Oh, cool. They're pretty cool. Um, so she hears this man playing, and it sounds like he's playing her husband's music. Um, but but okay, but not at first. Yeah. At some point in the movie <laughs> later on, when she's in the coffee shop with Olivier. Who well, and we can we could jump to that because because I think the guy is well, actually, playing. No, we can't yet. Yeah, the music that's not even out yet. Oh, was that the because, implication? Because they kind of have a reaction of like, how could he know that music? Because well, if the mu- music's just like out, yeah, sure, yeah, he'd play it. But because he says like, like was... I make up lots of music when she asks like, how did you hear that? Yeah, what do you think that means? 
Oh, that's that's interesting. Because I can't remember what happens directly following that. Like if she learned, you know or what, gained anything from it. You know what I I think it could mean. He has a mistress that lives in Paris, and he hears that man playing that music, and he has written that music after hearing that oh. man play that music. You know, I think he was a mistress of someone. Yeah, he yeah he got out of the car. He was homeless, um, but but we see him get out of the car one one day, and there's like a what looks like a well off woman in the car. Um, so I think there's a potential about that. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Didn't think that through, but, but one thing, oh, and that would, that would, yeah, no, I think that that's what happened because I I was going to point out that at the end, when, when she finally decides to work on the music and they're working on it, she says she changes a part to a flute part. Oh. And when she did that, I was like, bingo. Well, I just thought, oh, she's, she's doing that because of the recorder guy. She, that's like in her brain. But but now I think maybe she's intentionally like she's, she's giving him a voice. It's the voice to unite all of Europe. He gets a voice. She gets a voice. Olivia gets a voice. We all get voices. Yeah. Well, that's one of it. But <laughs> like she is, she's accepting the mit- mistress, and she's accepting her hmm. her uh, 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 husband. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, "Well, he got it from this guy, so let's honor that and let's do his vision." Interesting. Huh. Even deeper. Yeah. Folks, it's even deeper. Um, but then she gets a call from someone, and uh, she meets at this coffee shop, and it's the guy f- that we saw at the beginning of the movie. Who, who witnessed the car accident. Witnessed the car accident. And he has a necklace, and he said, I've been trying to track you down. A, it's a cross. Yeah. Necklace of a cross. Um, I've been trying to track you down and, and um, give this to you. And um, isn't she just like you can? Well, okay. Well, he's, he's music fades to black. Yep, comes back because she is forced to face the tragedy of her life. Yeah, and he says, "I I felt like I needed to give it back to you because I didn't want to steal it. Yeah, like that that would have meant I stole it." Um, and then he's kind of saying, "Like you know, I I can tell you what it was like if you want to know the accident." She doesn't want to know. Yeah. And then he says, I I did talk to your husband yeah. before. And he says, your, the, your husband said, now try coughing. Now try coughing. And Julie starts laughing. And I thought this was so sweet. Yeah. she she te- Her husband was telling a joke right up until the car accident. Uh-huh. And she tells the kid the joke and she's laughing while she's telling it. So it's like this memory brings her joy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and especially she says, she's especially laughing because my husband always repeated the punchline. Yeah. And so the punchline is I now try coughing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and then she lets, she doesn't want the necklace. It, it's a part of her letting that go. And she lets him keep the, the necklace. She doesn't even give him an opportunity to really give it to her. She's just like, it's yours. You can have it. Yeah. Which it's got to feel strange if you're him. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then she's at that at that cafe again, and then Olivier has tracked her down, and he expresses that he misses her, and then she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna move again." But then, well, then she, he kind of he comes to the conclusion of like, "Okay, loud and clear." Yeah. I will let you be, but I'm here. Basically, yeah. like he doesn't he doesn't try to. 
I don't know. He's not begging her or anything. Right. Um, and then she visits her mother, who gets confused very easily. She's in a nursing home. Yes. Um, and her mother is watching bungee jumping videos or, or stuff on TV. Yeah. So that's that's when we see that again. Yeah. This time, people are definitely tethered to ropes. Yeah. There's one in particular where a very old man very bungee old jumps, man. and it was shocking. <laughs> it was. And then someone was bungee jumping from a helicopter, which I don't even get that. Yeah. Um, and they both. You know what I thought about when someone bungee jumped, and I know that they have precautions to make sure this happens, but what if snap? No, what if it wrapped around your neck when you were bungee jumping? Oh, I don't. I think that's like that wouldn't happen. I, I think it could happen th- if you well, did it I, wrong. I think it could if whoever is organizing it is an imbecile. Yeah. But like if I was like, oh, I'm just going to buy a jump bungee jump and jump. Well, yeah, you might cliff. you might accidentally yeah. hang yourself. But could you imagine that? No. You'd probably rip your body in half. Potentially. Rip your head off of your body. Um. Anyway, you were saying something before I cut you off for that stupid well, they, they tangent. Both, her and her mom, she's trying to talk to her mom and her mom can barely remember her. And yeah, they both kind of end up watching the TV and just watching people falling, but they're connected to something. So they're not going to go away. And, and one, one thing that I, I loved is when, when she originally spoke with the real estate agent, he said, what do you do for a living? And she says, nothing. And he goes, no, but what? And she says, I don't do, I I do nothing. Cause that's what she wants her life to become. And then her mother says to her, um, you know, I don't have anything anymore, yada, yada, yada. All I have to do is nothing. So I think she's she's seeing, like, a different version of herself, I guess, at that point with her mother. Um, thought that was worth pointing out. Mm-hmm. Then she borrows the cat. And then, yes, pretty pretty quickly after that, Lucille calls for help, and Julie goes to a crazy sex club to help is what i wrote <laughs> so she helps lucille but then she also sees this news thing going on yeah. like in an office and it's that journalist is interviewing olivier who is going to try and finish patrice's magnum opus he's gonna try yeah yeah and then they flash some images across the screen yeah. like pictures of julie with her family um, but then also the picture of Patrice and his mistress, yeah. which is like, huh? It's <laughs> yeah. one of those puff. It's one of those pieces. Um, puff pieces. You were oh, going yeah, to say puff piece, but, it, but um, it shocks her. Not only the picture, but what Olivier said he was going to do that. She tracks him down. And what did he say he was going to do? What? He said, he said he was going to oh, finish attempt the piece. To, I said that already. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So she tracks him down, and, ba- and basically he he freely admits, I, I said that, I put that out there because I knew you were going to see it. I was hoping you were going to see it yeah. and come and find me, and you did. When she says, she says, you have no right yeah. to do this, and he says, um, it was the only way to make you want or not want, to care or not to care. He says something like that yeah. where he he's not even necessarily needing her. He knows she is in limbo. And he's not necessarily needing her to agree to work on the piece and work on it. He just needs her to make a decision and make a, a step in her life. Because he knows her well enough to know she's in limbo and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Which, again, that's like a mu- much more nuanced conversation about grief than just get over it. Well, that's you know? the interesting thing, too, about freedom. 
He, he's saying like, as if like you have too much freedom, you yeah. need to, you need to, I don't know if he's actually saying you need to, he, to do something. He just needs, he like, he's trying to prompt her into making a decision. Yeah. Cause she's trying to go through a life of no decision. Yeah. So she's asking about the mistress finds out that she is uh steady or is like interning to be a lawyer. Uh-huh. So she goes to the courthouse, found out that lawyers in France wear funny robes. <laughs> um oh, over she, by Montparnasse. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> she finds her, follows her to a brasserie. Follows yeah. her into What does brasserie mean again? It's like a pub. Pub, okay. That's where we had most of our meals. Yes. In France. Um and follows her into the bathroom. And immediately the mistress recognizes her, of course. And we, as the viewer, immediately recognize that this woman's pregnant. And we go, oh, crap. Yeah. Yeah. And Julie asks if it's his. She says it is. He died before he could find out that yeah. I was even pregnant. Yikes. Um, just a lot of complicated things on many levels in general. And then the mistress is, like, saying, like, do you hate me? Yeah. Do you hate Patrice? Like, basically, it's kind of always the interesting thing where it's like, are you going to hate me now? And it's like, probably, right? <laughs> yeah. But well, Julie the, doesn't answer. Well, and, and then she says, do you want to know if he loved me? Is That's that right. Is that why you're doing this? And, and then she, she the, looks at the necklace that he ha- she she's has. She's wearing a gold cross. And she says, I already know that he did. Um, Which is sad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Really sad. So and she she leaves her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then th- does she start working on the And then she starts working on the song. So, so she's putting the life that, back together. Throughout yeah. the movie, she is see we are we see her um swimming in uh-huh. a in a very huge pool and this is always lit very blue. Uh-huh. Is that her swimming in her grief? Is that her swimming through her grief? I didn't really think about it either direction so i feel what like she's think? often she often goes swimming after a big thing happens yeah like she needs to exercise to to work off the pent-up everything yeah and i i just wonder if she's trying to like out swim it outrun it but she's just bathed in it and then oh i like that at, at 1.2 in one of those scenes while she's swimming a group of girls, the young girls all jump into the pool because they have swim class, uh-huh. which is like, well, that's got to hurt because those all, all those girls seem around the age of her daughter. Yeah. So it's just, she's, yeah, she's like, here no, to, that's... she's here to like, you know, only do one thing and it's like exercise. And then she's just reminded yeah. she, she can't go anywhere. Yeah. She gets no respect. <laughs> yeah. Hey, nobody's going to top my, ratatouille joke so don't even try jordan (laughs) so then they begin composing the song her and olivier and there's my second favorite shot of the movie as she's putting her life back together and things are coming back into play they're composing the song they're they're starting to become a resolution the camera slowly goes out of focus i loved it too i loved it so much and i actually thought that was going to be the last shot of the movie It, it felt like this is the end like She's she's gone through this phase and she's gonna live on, um, but it's not uh, because. Um, why? Why? What's the importance of making it out of focus? I I, I think it's 
I, I think it's kind of like one, it works on an ironic level where, where yes, she's moving forward. Things are coming. Things are becoming clear for her again. And or it's going out of focus. It's not because she's going in a direction she was trying so hard to avoid. Sure. Because it all looks so hazy to her. But if she only goes one way, which yeah. is nothing, <clears throat> she can at least just like see the apartment that she lives in and dwells in and sits yeah. in. Yeah. Crazy. I think I think we could spend a lot of time on yeah. that shot just yeah. piecing it together and figuring it out cuz you know, maybe there's also something like cuz when when it when I thought it was going to end there, I thought maybe this is like we're not allowed to be a part of the story anymore. Like yeah. it's it's over. You you saw what you needed to see. Um, but there still is a little bit of the movie left, so yeah. maybe that's not one of the things. But um, then she gives her house to the mistress to raise the child in. Mm-hmm. The giant, giant castle house. Yeah, and the mistress says, um, he, you know, he told me a lot about you. And she was like, oh, okay. And then she says, um, he said you were good, and you are. You were good and you were generous. And yeah. that, that's always what you tried to be. Yeah. You were always trying to be good and generous. Yeah. Very sweet. Very sweet. And then she doesn't want uh, there's something where she's like like Olivier calls her and she says I I finished it and he no, goes she calls him she calls him she finishes the piece yeah. at home and calls him and says I finished it and then she says do you still love me yeah and he says I've never stopped loving you and then she said okay come over and then she said like if you're not tired come over and he's like I'm not tired but I'm not coming over yeah. And she's she's asks him why. And basically basically this is just another moment of him saying like I I'm not going to finish this piece with you if we're not going to like like with the way that <laughs> it is. Like the way that the world sees it. Does that make sense? Well, he it sounded to me almost like an artistic thing where he was like I want to finish it. It has to be mine. Yeah, but it doesn't just mean his because I think he also means it's either mine or it's yours. Yeah, that's what like, he says. That's what he says. He's giving her the the choice because it sounds like throughout her husband's career, whether I we don't know if she had a choice. Yeah, um, it might have been. Oh, interesting. You know, like he's saying, I I know the relationship with your husband, and he took a lot of the credit. You were the real genius, so now it's your turn to say this is mine. So finish it. So is it yours or is it mine? Yeah. Basically. And then she says. Dang. That hits it way harder. And then she says, I'm coming over. Which I think is her making her choice. Yeah. And she brings the music with her. Yeah. And. And, and finishes the score. Yep. And we have the, 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 the music playing with the children singing Corinthians 13. Is mm-hmm. that what you said? Um, and then there's a montage of all the characters. Um. I, I know ultrasounds are blue, but it is just interesting that the baby is bathed in they the are? ultrasound blue, aren't ultrasounds they? Ultrasounds are white. Or, or yeah, I guess they're white, but it, it was blue in well, the movie. Well, first of all, it pans to the to the guy to the guy who witnessed the car crash. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he's all lit blue and he's like holding the necklace. Yeah, that's he's still attached to this thing, and then it goes to the ultrasound. Yeah, which and, is blue, you know, baby blue. blue, and then it goes to Olivier's place. Yeah, and then we we also see um, Lucille, and we see most of the oh, characters right, from the right. movie, and her mom. Yeah, and she's bathed in red. 
Um, but yeah, uh, the Lucille, not yeah. the mom. Um, and then uh, I said la- la- last blue was found. Okay, so the last moment of blue. Okay, uh-huh. so she goes to Olivier's and they spend the night together. Okay. And I, I think it's all, it's, she's made a decision. She's happy. Yeah. I think. And she wakes up the next morning. I think it's the next morning. And she's looking outside. I, I think it's the morning because the, the hue of blue looks like dawn. Oh, that's like right. Dawn. It, it so corrected like, dawn to found. Okay. F-O-W-N. Because blue, as we or know, usually associated with sad, depressed. Yeah, yeah. Even calm. Um, and, and this blue was a, like, it, it truly was, like, a happier shade of blue. An acceptance. Yeah. And it just feels like, okay, she she's going to be okay. hmm And that's the movie, right? Yeah. Good? The movie rocked. Yeah, it was really good. Um, yeah, I guess just to say, uh, uh, keep listening. Tell, share it with a friend. And be with us next week. I believe. Wait, and these movies are on HBO. They are we, on we've, HBO. We've yeah, some international movies that we've had to rent throughout. These are all three on HBO. Type in three colors, and they'll pop up. It's blue, white, and then red. Yes, it is. I was double checking that it's that it's because white and red came out in the same year. Oh. Um, wow, they came out within less than a month of each other. Oh. Less like a week, January twenty sixth and February eighth. Okay, uh, but yeah, um, White is next week, and then on our Patreon, we would have done our Oscar special this month. So, I mean, howdy doody, that sounds fun, don't it? Uh, thanks for listening. Au revoir. Ah. <laughs>